Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm excited for this episode. Uh, Kathleen and I discussed what I believe to be uh, some really important stuff about classical music, symphonic music specifically, and just trying to be able to start to understand, at least for myself, and hopefully it's beneficial for all of you listening, uh, how we talk about symphonic music and how we can help you know people who may not understand it, how we can help them understand what we do. And so it's a, you know, we definitely enjoyed uh, the discussion, and I hope you enjoy listening. Uh, I'll mention this in the episode, but in the description, there's a form that has four short questions uh, that we will discuss. We'll discuss these four short questions in the episode, but we'll continually ask that uh, if you have things that you want to add or insights that you feel that uh, you would like to share, we would love to hear from you. So uh, check that out. Check out the form as you're going through. It's in the description. Uh, and we would, like I said, we'd love to hear from your feedback. Just get lots of feedback. We want to know... Um, we just want to see why people think symphonic music is important and what it is that we do. And uh, so if you're someone who believes passionately about it, uh, yeah, check that out. The other thing I want to do is just take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. Finding the right equipment for you is essential for ease of production and enjoyment of playing in your music making. But needing to rent or buy to try things out can be time-consuming and expensive. If you are looking for a way to learn about new horns or other equipment, check out Houghton Horns. They offer free in-person virtual equipment consultations with their team of professional musicians, which means whether you live in Keller, Texas, or you live outside the United States, Houghton Horns is able to serve you. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on this episode, I am once again joined by my lovely wife, Kathleen Costello. Thank you for joining me once again, Kathleen. Thanks for having me. It's a very dainty way of saying thank you for having me. I did say that. I know, but it was like, thanks for having me. Like Alina would say it. All right, I guess we'll move on. <laughs> um, so... We, uh, I'm just going to tell a quick story that I think will help frame why we're doing this episode, and then uh, we're going to get into it. Uh, a few weeks ago, I did a tour of a few schools, uh, Cincinnati Conservatory, uh, Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Butler University in Indianapolis. And on the way home, I was listening to this podcast called The Business of Story. And I like this podcast because it really puts story at the forefront of marketing and branding and making sure that everything we're doing is 
really telling some purposeful story that we want to tell because he's a believer that we're telling a story whether we realize it or not. So we should take control of it and really tell the stories we want. And so, you know, when you listen to marketing podcasts or read marketing books, they'll talk a lot about um, you got to know what problem you're trying to solve and that you are solving a problem that exists. You're not just making up a problem and then saying, okay, cool. Like people should want this because I made this problem up. And so, you know, I thought about this in a whole bunch of different contexts. And I started thinking about in the context of symphonic music. What problem does symphonic music solve in the lives of our audience? Or if you want to call them customers, although that sounds not really accurate, I suppose. We think of them as uh, more than that, I think. And I just, I, I had, I struggled to come up with an answer, at least right there on the spot. And I viewed that as a bit of a problem. Uh, and I'm in this field, you know, this is things I probably should have thought about at some point about, well, you know, why does what we do matter? What do we make happen in the lives of our audience? Things like this. So I came home all fired up and whatnot. And I started talking to Kathleen about this and she had some really amazing thoughts and we realized that uh, these are conversations worth having. So I made a Google form, which sidebar or side note, I will put this form. What we're going to talk about is mostly just the content from this form that I put uh, online on social media. If you haven't seen it yet and you're interested in um, submitting to this, uh, I'll put it in the description. We'd love as many people to share uh, their thoughts because uh, I just think the more the more uh, sort of a well-rounded perspective we have of uh, people who care deeply about this, the better off we'll be. So I put out this form on uh, the wherever, you know, I guess it was Google Forms, I put it on social media, and it had four questions on it. And the goal of this was just to hear what what do people think about these questions? What do they what do they think is valuable about what we do? And the responses were so uh, great. So some of them were so insightful that I realized there's just got to be something here. We as classical musicians, as symphonic musicians, uh, we believe deeply in what we do. And um, it's it's clear when you hear people talk about it, but I don't think that that message always makes its way out mm-hmm. into our audience, into our communities, that it's not just that we, you know, we play our instruments for a really long time and we play things really well and we play these masterworks, but there's so much more to what we do. So this is what we wanted to talk about. We wanted to provide at least a starting resource for trying to gain language around how do we talk about what we do so that people really understand the value of symphonic music, uh, more broadly, the value of classical music. So we hope to be able to provide through at least this episode and maybe more things, uh, more of a narrative towards highlighting what it is that we do that is unique, that is different, that is special, that is life-changing uh, in an effort that anyone listening to this episode might say, yeah, I'm going to use that in conversation. That sounds really interesting. Or I totally believe in that and I'm going to remember that. So um, before we get started in the questions, I was just going to open it up to Kathleen and see if she had any thoughts about why she thought this conversation was important. Uh, just if you have any kind of opening opening remarks. Yeah, I mean, I, I have so many thoughts about this, as you know, because we can talk about this kind of thing for hours. Um, well, first, I want to say that I also was so impressed with what people wrote and how they responded with such passionate and thoughtful answers. And one thing came really became clear reading through them, a really strong thread for this first question that we asked of, 
you know, why does creating or experiencing music matter? And I can't remember if we asked that generally. Did we ask it generally? On the form, it was, why does, yeah, in your opinion, why does creating or experiencing music matter? Right. And yeah, the overwhelming consistent answer was connection. And I've, I've always held to that too, that it's really about connecting people through this beautiful and powerful art form. And I do think music itself has a special and unique way of doing that. Um, yeah, so I think we should talk about all the things. I think we should talk about it from um, starting with, you know, it can be as simple as entertainment and there's a huge amount of value in, in being entertained um, to, you know, all the way to allowing ourselves to feel our deepest and maybe most powerful emotions in a safe space or to relive them in a way that um, that feels that feels safe, but then also can help us heal or grow or connect us to love, to really powerful positive emotions as well as potentially um, painful or sad emotions it can all be very healing. Yeah, I, I think for the for the purpose of having some structure to the episode, we're just going to cover the questions in order. Uh, I think we can sort of expand upon why we asked them in this order because we sort of had a thought process behind it. So the four questions we asked on this form were, in your opinion, why does creating or experiencing music matter? Second was, in your opinion, what is unique about symphonic music? Third is, in your opinion, how does the experience differ between live and recorded music? And four, in your opinion, what is the role of a symphony orchestra in its community? And so the reason we asked them in this order is, number one, we just broadly said music, right? And so let's start here. Uh, I'll open it up to you because I just love the way you talk uh -huh. about this. And I, nobody needs to hear my opinion on it because yours is just so uh, inspiring. So why don't you share kind of what your thoughts are on this and similar to what you just said, but maybe if you want to expand upon it. Sure. I mean, I think in addition to that, you know, we're tying to those two ideas that I mentioned, connection and then um, shared emotions in a safe space. You know, mu music is so powerful to tie us to memory. And I think the older we are, the more experienced or more experiences we have in life than the broader the spectrum of of memory that we can be connected to through music. And, you know, we'll get into more symphonic music specifically in a minute. Um, but the more agility or flexibility of the musical art form or the musical format is going to have that power to, to reach even more of those emotions at even more of a depth or to pull up, you know, more memories that are specific to a certain person. Um, but I think especially in this time, you know, sometimes in history we feel this more than others, but I think it would be safe to say it's a very divided time in history, maybe particularly in this country right now in this moment. And I would argue that music is more important than ever in this time because music has the ability to allow us to find common ground um, and to um, happen upon those shared experiences or shared emotions or universal human emotion together um, without a political bias, without a um, emotional bias, without, I don't know, any of the biases we can, you know, socioeconomic, you name it. There's so many that we can bring to the table in any kind of, you know, everyday interaction, but a, a powerful musical shared experience 
I think it really does have the power to bypass those boundaries. Yeah, to me, this is this should be the first argument for what we do is that among other things, uh, we connect human beings in ways that words and other shared experiences can't. I mean, it's pretty interesting. I'll just read a few of these responses. Um, you know, music is one of the things that makes us human. It makes life worth living because it opens a space and time for our imaginations to manifest and to allow us to experience our own selves and share and experience each other through the medium of sound. That was mm -hmm. one of the responses. Yeah. Another one of the responses is, um, is an essential part of a healthy, enlightened, and civilized life. Another creating or experiencing music helps in all aspects of life. Music is a passport to connect with and experience other cultures and time periods. Um, another one just said, it's what brings us together as humans, a universal language. You know, this seems to be that Victor Hugo quote, music expresses what words cannot. Um, and there's more to uh, that quote. Uh, here's another one that's really beautiful. For me, it's the place, the point where heaven and earth touch. Hmm. I thought that was a really, really uh, sort of, really a great way, I guess. It's not the right word to say it. Great is not quite descriptive enough. But yeah, what I find interesting is that this is to me what, what all musicians, what we, I mean, I, maybe you don't believe it and that's fine. If you don't believe it, you don't have to share it. But for musicians that do believe it, this, see, this should be, in my opinion, at the forefront of so many discussions that we're having about classical music and why people should be interested in it and why people should give it a chance if they don't know if they're interested in it and why the arts are uh, you know, worth supporting. I've read articles that talk about the economic impact of orchestras, and I think that's very true and very great. Uh, but it's sort of a pales in comparison to the idea that the people that are coming to this place could uh, have an experience that connects them to other points in time, to the musicians on stage, to other people experiencing the same thing. It's just so many layers of connection. And like this should be the the, the starting, at least it's the starting argument point. Of course, it can go much further. But I think that's our, in my opinion, our strongest argument point to begin with of why what we do really matters as a whole. Yeah, and I think I often like to think about this conversation or this topic with a zoom lens, like you can zoom way out, you know, at, as to the most fundamental reasons for why art, even beyond just um, music, but art in general matters, right? I mean, art can be a way to provide order to our feelings or um, our thoughts, and it can be it can reflect the beauty of the natural world. That's another function that art can, whether it's a, a literal visual um, capturing of the natural world, or if we um, obviously see parallels with musical depictions as well. Um, and I think also art, um, I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, it's a mark of a great civilization, right? Like I think as humans, we are not satisfied with just taking care of our basic needs, so to speak. You know, once we figure out how to do that, we, without fail throughout history, have moved into art as something that is so fundamental to the way that we're made and the way that um, we're structured as humans. Uh, I think it's a deep internal drive and... Um, well, I think it's great 
yeah, to have this conversation, to, to make a case for it. I think if we all really think about it, we do, you know, each of us individually knows that, you know, at least some form of art is important and music might arguably be the most universal. Maybe that's a controversial thing to say, but, and, and people enjoy all different types of music. It may not be specific to classical music for people, but I don't know. I've never met anybody who doesn't love one type of music or one artist or one band or, or something. I don't know. Have you? Uh, my sister-in-law, Emily, is... She doesn't feel like she has any gene whatsoever to really understand or or process music or enjoy even. Yeah, that, I mean, according to her. Okay, I have so this you've funny, met someone. This funny, at least to me, it's funny. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else think it's funny, but when I was in high school, uh, I had this program called Noteworthy Composer. It's kind of like Finale, but way less stuff and free. And I would uh, transcribe our our uh, songs from our band like the whole songs, like guitar parts and bass parts. And I figured out how to do the drums and I, I would transcribe entire songs. Tell the audience about your band, oh, just my, briefly. My, yeah, I had a ska band in high school called Totally Awesome Fun Band. And uh, we were totally awesome and fun and we were a band. So um, there you go. anyway, descriptive title. and it was like all piano, right? Maybe I could figure out how to get other instruments, but to me, it sounded like the song. Like I could hear the song in it, but she, I was like, I got to show you this. Like, I got to show you this. And she sat down and then I played that and she was like, it sounds like nothing to me. I was like, I couldn't really comprehend what sure. she had just yeah. said. I was like, what do you mean? It sounds like nothing. Like the song. And she's like, yeah, it sounds like white noise to me. And I was like, that's like the first time I had ever come across somebody who, yeah, just sort of didn't have any inclination. Okay. So whatsoever. we'll just call her an anomaly for well, purposes I, of yeah. this discussion. And I think you're right. I, maybe not everybody <laughs> even like quote... Uh, is passionate or loves a certain kind of music. Mm. But I'm sure music is some part, you know, they watch a movie, the music is some part of it, or you go to a restaurant or a bar or something like that, and there's sort of ambient background music. Like, it's some part of everybody's, yeah. you know, and existence. You totally know? change your experience in any of those situations which aren't even focused on the music. Right. It's more of just part of creating an aesthetic or, an, like you said, an atmosphere. And um, Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm getting us off track. No, no, it's all good. You can get us back on track. I was just going to read a few more of these. Um, this one I really liked. This is from our, our friend. Uh, it's a model for human society's greatest ideals of cooperation, self-sacrifice for the common good, listening and empathy. It's a ritual for reflection on the human experience that connects us past, present, and future. It's a very well thought out Gosh, answer. That it's so thorough. Yeah. I feel like I'll have to meditate on that answer because... <laughs> There's yeah. what, yeah, I, I, don't, I would be so hard pressed to be that succinct if even be able to come up with yeah. something so poetic. So beautiful. Yeah. Another person wrote, to me, music is a challenge that is so very rewarding to complete. I love the process of playing symphonic music and find every opportunity available to do so. And with that has brought a great deal of joy to myself and hopefully a similar joy to those around me and in the audience. Connect, creating and experiencing builds wisdom, connects various lives, and provides various approaches one can pursue when playing or performing a new or familiar work. And then, I don't know, I, there's a whole bunch of them. There's, there's like 30 of them or so, so I don't have to read them all. But f one final one, I guess, would be, it's a difficult question to answer. Music exists in every culture, so music is a part of everyone's life. I imagine the role of music is different for everyone. Some people might use it for an escape, a motivator, something to relate to, etc., 
But I think because music exists literally everywhere on this earth, it's something we need as humans to connect to. Yeah, and I think one part of the discussion that might get a little more technical would be just the role of rhythm in music and how, you know, again, and going back to this idea of the natural world, like there's rhythm all around us in the natural world. We have our our heartbeat, the way our body functions, and that sort of fundamental tie to rhythm and feeling music in our body. I mean, not I mean, you can feel vibrations of of pitches in your body as well. Um, but I think that's really powerful too, like mm. the connection to dance, to the need to to move. Um, yeah, I think rhythm mm-hmm. is fundamental. Totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So, I mean, it's not an exhaustive discussion of this because we just started asking the question. So, again, if you if you out there listening uh, have a different answer that you feel passionate about for why. Does creating and experiencing music matter? Please let us know because we are open to lots of different things. The next question we ask. So the reason, the next question is, in your opinion, what is unique about symphonic music? So as, as trying to build a case for something specifically, some sorry, something specific like an orchestra, a symphony orchestra, we started to make this distinction that classical music is such a broad category. It, inco- it incorporates so many different things um, and that we wanted to then try to focus in on a symphony orchestra specifically. What does this mm-hmm. provide? What is unique about this version of classical music that other versions of it uh, cannot provide in the same way. And so um, do you want to sort of open up? Yeah, about what I have you a think? lot of thoughts on this. And I think one thing you and I discussed specifically is that sometimes this term classical can be sort of loaded in terms of, you know, people can have preconceived ideas of what it is, or maybe there's a certain snobbery. And certainly in... Um, Movies and popular culture—it's always depicted. Not always. It's often, you know, depicted in this very stuffy, elitist kind of way. So, we wanted to demystify that. Also, um, so my first my first thought that I wanted to share about it is that so a symphony orchestra in particular just has so much potential for color because you have. Um, all these instruments on stage that are using different things to create the sound, you know, wind players and brass players use the air to create the sound and string players. It's like, you know, moving the bow across the string or, you know, perhaps, you know, plucking the strings and then percussion is obviously, you know, hitting things, (laughs) striking Mm things uh, to create the sound. And of course, you, you know, you have from the highest piccolo to the lowest tuba or double bass. So you have this huge range of pitch, Dynamics. I mean, you can have, you know, a solo clarinet and a timpani as um, some composers have used those two instruments and never be the softest thing possible. And then, you know, a, an army of, I don't know how many musicians are for some of Mahler's biggest symphonies, like over a hundred, you mm-hmm. know, with this huge legion of, of brass musicians on stage and it can be so much at the other end of the spectrum. So huge dynamic range. Um, so just that incredible, almost infinite ability to create colors and contrast in the medium itself, um, which would be certainly an argument for why you know, you need a certain complement or number of musicians on stage to reenact or to properly bring these um, masterpieces to life if you're talking about the classical masterworks. Um, of course, and when I say that, I mean through the Romantic composers and into the 20th century as well. 
Um, and then the other reason I think that symphonic music is unique or a symphony orchestra can be unique is because there's so much range and flexibility for style as well. So pretty much every symphony orchestra that I know about also plays pops music, which could range from, um, you know, jazz charts, um, big band charts to um, pop music of the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, like up until present time, you know, performing with with current bands that are exploring a um, symphonic or an orchestral sound and have understood the power they can bring to their music with that added color and depth that orchestral sounds can bring to uh, contemporary music. And then, of course, something that, you know, our orchestra has done more of in the last 10 years, I would say, would be movie soundtracks, playing along to these movie soundtracks and kind of bringing to the attention of the audience that these soundtracks can be as important as any character, if not more so in a movie, a well-crafted soundtrack. It's, we, you know, we just, we sort of let the whole experience wash over us when we're watching a movie um, and of course, they've done these experiments showing the same scene with a powerful piece of music and then removing it. And it can be mm-hmm. almost like laughable, yeah, ridiculous. I, remember, I did this with my brother one time. <laughs> we were watching something like uh, like Alien or Aliens, mm-hmm. you know? And the movie was scary. Like, it was like a scary, tense scene or whatever. And it was, somehow we were talking about the, the music behind it. And I was saying that the music is what makes this scary. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, mute it. And he muted it. And then I went on my phone. At that time, I had ringtones and I played like the entertainer or something like that. And I was like, all right, does this seem scary right now, you know, with the entertainer? And he's like, oh, no. Like, you don't realize that the, the, the bed that's underneath it um, mm-hmm. is, is like why you feel what you feel is like t- the tense. I mean, the actors on screen certainly are bringing it to life, but right, adding right. that adding the music really, I feel like makes it become more, much more real. It's a, an integral part, I think, of telling those yeah. stories. And going back to this idea of emotion and your emotions can be manipulated through the musical soundtrack and soundtrack and can be that element that really puts you where, you know, that director wants you to be in the um, your experience of the movie. So I guess those would be my two, you know, main things. And then I think just to make a pitch for you know, you and I have been through years and years of schooling. And of course, we have string player friends that started when they were like, you know, three or four. Um, and, you know, I think when you're classically trained like that, you know, you go through all those years of, of training and education. That is part of what allows us to be able to then play in any of those styles, to be able to change on a dime and be incredibly flexible with um, the style. So that's just, I think, something that that, a level of dedication and training can can provide. And it's why getting, you know, among the reasons why getting an orchestra job is so difficult and so competitive, you know, you really, you have to demonstrate that when you audition, um, I would say, without exception. Yeah, I would, focusing on the, I, I totally agree uh, with all the points. I would say focusing on the first one, about just the wide range of colors uh, and and that are that are available, that seems to be what, a vast majority of people touched on um, of why they also believe that it's unique in what it offers. Again, the whole point of art using this podcast language is to tell stories and to tell compelling and convincing stories. And so 
So I totally agree with all of those uh, those ideas. Um, and I, I think I kind of want to focus in on that first one where you're talking about the range of colors available to an orchestra. That seemed to be what uh, many of the people that responded also seem to agree with, that what makes classical, or sorry, symphonic music unique among classical music is that you know everybody's trying to tell various stories. It's just symphonic music has so many tools available mm. to tell those stories. And we know that not all music is written to tell a specific story. We, we know that. But the idea is is that there's so much variety possible with symphonic music. And if you think about it in a filmmaking context, you know, there's so many different cameras, so many different lenses. There's so many different ways to light things and shoot things. And it's all to tell a specific story, to set a specific mood. And using a different focal length will do it. You know, we've learned about these types of things and they have all of these decisions to make. And that's the same thing as a composer has all of these decisions to make with a full, you know, complement. Like you were talking about how many members are in an orchestra. Um, the composer has that many different options to to choose from. And so, again, that seems to be a really good place to start discussing what makes symphonic music unique. Is not so much that, I mean, there's other reasons, and I'm going to read some of them in just a second, but... Uh, the idea that there are tons of options and tools that a composer has to tell a story and make an impact on somebody's life seems to be a really good place to start uh, making a case for symphonic music specifically. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few of these. Uh, the, so I'll just kind of read them straight down. Uh, it's the most abstract. You can find personal meaning in almost any way. There is no correct or incorrect. The next one says... The tapestry of colors, dynamic range, high, low extremes in range. That's kind of what we were mm -hmm. speaking to. Uh, the connection of individuals collaborating their craft to generate the perfect timbre is such a unique feeling, both performing and listening. Symphonic music gives that feeling on a large scale level. So it's saying that you're taking that feeling you can get from chamber music essentially mm -hmm. and then just having more people involved, which creates more of that experience, it sounds like. The connection of, oh no, scales or scale, sound texture, sound colors. Sometimes big stuff is really cool, but it's definitely about the variety and scale, not necessarily the content. Smaller music can also express big and complicated emotions with fewer textures. Probably a classic example that comes to mind is the adagio for strings. You know, it's such a small, it's such a small ensemble that plays that, just the strings, but it's such a powerful build in the way that it works, and it's been used in movies and um, to, to express, uh, you know, pretty deep, profound emotions. And then, you know, like you were talking about, then you have something like Mahler 8, where a symphony of a thousand is a thousand. There's just the sheer, like, number Size of people and, and sound and scope. Yeah. Yeah, and just to divert the conversation slightly for a second here, like, I think, sometimes I think about that, like, just using you know, a one group in the orchestra, like for in this case, the strings. So there's like a bit of a um, homogeneous quality to the sound color, but that's sometimes what a composer is looking for to express a certain emotion or idea. And it would just be like a painter who was maybe working with just a palette of blues, you know, just to create something that, you know, um, those colors were what they were choosing at that time. So even that to me is variety because you, you know, move from there onto something that involves, you know, more musicians, different colors. So that in itself provides a level of contrast. Yeah. Um, 
its size, range of tone colors, sense of occasion with a full orchestra on stage to start a concert, and the anticipation of what's to come. The epic journeys symphonic music takes you on its ability to transport you to other worlds and out of your current struggles. So this is similar to what you hear about people say about like things like books, you know, it takes you out of where you are and transports you into another world. And I would argue that for many, many people, classical or symphonic music, but classical music, it has that depth to it. It's 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 not like a you know, I'm not saying popular music can't have depth. I'm not remotely saying that. But I would say on average, popular music kind of fits into a framework, you know, verse, chorus, verse. First chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, right? It fits into this framework and it's telling a story in and of itself, but like the limitations of the structure make it hard to expand and sort of go in a place where you're not expecting it to, to make you feel something that you wouldn't be expecting to feel. And so I think um, that there aren't, I mean, there is certainly structure in earlier classical music and symphonic music and it, that kind of goes away as time goes on. And so just the ability to, even from a structure point of view, have variety uh, and how composers chose to sort of, quote, abuse that a little bit to try to tell really interesting and, and unique stories to make us feel different emotions is kind of an uh, interesting thing about symphonic music as well, I think. Yeah, and to go back to this uh, concept of escapism, I would call it, which sometimes mm -hmm. has a negative connotation, I think, and I guess it depends on how you're attempting to, do, by which means you are attempting to escape your life. And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring it back to flow, this this conversation. <laughs> but, you know, in the study of flow and flow state, you know, one of the markers of that, um, you know, while being deeply in the present moment, completely engaged with the material that you are, or the activity that you are engaged in, um, but is that sort of loss of self-consciousness as you are engaged in it. So you're not, like this person said, you know, you're not thinking about your everyday problems and um, struggles. You're being transported, another uh, quality of flow state. And we could then make the argument alongside of this escapism discussion that you're adding complexity to your consciousness through um, the attention you give to a music that's as deep and complex as symphonic music or or classical um, music. And so, yeah, I think that in the best of circumstances, you're in that that flow state as a listener as well yeah, as a performer. I would argue too that like to be able to enter into that, it's like you sort of have to you have to suspend this idea that you need to know something. I mean, I, I certainly think the more time you spend with an art form like any art form, really, the more time you spend with anything, you will and you will almost guaranteed gain a deeper appreciation for something. And the more appreciation you have for something, the more connected you're going to feel to it. There's no doubt. But the idea of feeling that experience of flow. I just think it takes sort of like a willingness to just like let yourself do it. You know what I mean? Not try to, not try to say I'm. I know what this experience is going to be mm -hmm. like, or yeah. I've made up my mind. But rather, I'm just going to show up and like listen, and not listen for anything, but just like let it happen, mm -hmm. and just sort of you know be there from minute to minute. I mean, the longest pieces that I know, all or three, might be among the longest pieces that I know. It's like 90, it's like 100 minutes close yeah. to. Well, operas, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm talking, we're talking symphonic music. That's a different mm -hmm. genre, right? Uh, and that's as long as like a regular movie, you know? So you're basically hearing a, a different type of story being told in the same amount of time as you would go to a movie, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's a similar kind of thing when you think about the the biggest scale and the longest works. It's uh, a lot on that same lines. You just sort of have to 
like I said, suspend this idea that you need to know anything and just sort of be like, I'm just going to let it happen. And then maybe again, you come back and you become more familiar and then your knowledge, you know, begets yeah. more appreciation. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're back to this, you know, is it is it elitist? You know, what is the barrier to entry? And I would just argue the barrier to entry is just being human, you know, <laughs> just being a person and being open. Yeah. There's one down here that I read that I was interested in sharing. It says, such a large ensemble making music with essentially one voice. I've never experienced anything more spiritually moving. This is kind of an argument for ensemble music in general. But when you think about how many people are involved with a, a symphony orchestra, you know, between 50 and 80 or 90, obviously groups like, you know, Chicago and New York Phil have complements of over 100 people. Um you think about how much teamwork is involved. Like a football team has lots of whole bunch of different moving parts. There's 13 people on the field doing it, right? And there's seven people in or whatever. Baseball team is nine people out on the field doing it, right? And so that level of teamwork, there's so many moving parts and we have like 80, you know, and everyone's got to do their part. Everyone's part is important, but it serves the whole. And I think this is one difficult thing about symphonic music is the... Ideally, the 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 group should take precedent over the individual, and that can be really hard for all of us. Like, mm -hmm. we work hard yeah. on solos, or we work hard on our part, and then we can feel like, why does this matter? Mm -hmm. If no one can hear me, and no one even cares that I'm sitting here, why would this matter if I work really hard or not? And uh, I don't necessarily. I mean, I've been there for sure, wondering. And I play principal trumpet, which has like a, a solo ish voice. You know, I totally get it. Um, but I think the idea that you know, we have so many people on stage and so many moving parts and when it all comes together and locks in, it's like a spiritual experience for some. Uh, I think that's worth uh, pursuing further. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, because I think this people do wonder this, you know, if you're sitting in the middle of a string section or, you know, are you, can you distinguish that player from the audience? And most of the time, ideally, you don't really want to, right? Because you want you want to you know, one sound of color coming from a section that's part of of being a, um, an excellent section player is that ability to blend and be a part of the bigger sound. So there is there's certainly a self-sacrificing element to a lot of these positions. And even like you were saying, as a principal player, you know, you yes, you have to know when to come out of the texture and take your moment if you have it. And then you need to know when you are playing a supporting role, which is most of the time, in fact. So, um, but those are some of the most satisfying moments to me, you know, and maybe like what you're saying, because it can be a spiritual experience or you are just the knowledge that you're creating something bigger with other people that also love to do what you're doing. I mean, that's the reason I got into music. You know, I was at Interlochen, which is a pretty well-known um, arts camp in Michigan and thousands of high school students, you know, come every summer to this camp and, that was the first moment, you know, really experiencing that magic of creating music with other people, something that's bigger than you, you know, that you are a part of. And I just found it, it was a yeah, magical experience, a magical moment. And I knew that I wanted more of that in my life. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a big part of why I wanted to pursue it too. I just had such a connection with the people that I was around and how much fun it was basically to... To play with my, you know, my colleagues or my, you know, my my friends at school and stuff. Um, 
I did want to sort of. I, I'm. I think it's it's fine for us to move on to the next question. Uh, I did want to continue to remind us that we're framing this as get, getting language for uh, possibly sharing and talking about what we do in a way where we're telling compelling stories. And so, you know, we're talking about symphonic, this particular question, symphonic music has all these colors and it can tell all these different types of stories. And it brings, in terms of musicians, all these highly skilled people together to tell multiple different genres worth of stories and that we're all working together as a team and we're creating this one product that can be a spiritual experience for some people. And we have to ask ourselves, is this the narrative that the public believes? about mm -hmm. why symphonic music is unique. Well, I th this is a good point to move on to the next question. You know, the difference between live and recorded music, because I think that part of the answer or like an excellent segue here is to then deal with this idea of like, does it matter at all if there's no audience? You know, what is that relationship between audience and performer and that to me is the biggest difference between live and recorded music. Like, yes, we can, you know, I put on music all the time to change my mood, to, um, you know, help me concentrate, to take me out of what I'm, you know, might be experiencing. So um, I, I love recorded music, but I think let's, let's move on to this audience idea. Yeah, so the next question was, in your opinion, how does the experience differ between live and recorded music? Because, you know, the next logical thing, if you're trying to make a case for symphonic music, the next logical thing would be, okay, well, let's say now we all agree. Symphonic music matters. It's a beautiful thing. I care about it very deeply. What's the difference between symphonic music that's recorded and symphonic music that's live? Why do I have to go hear an orchestra when I could just go on YouTube and listen to whatever recording I want from the comfort of my own home with my great stereo mm -hmm. system? And like, what's the difference between the two? I don't have to spend money from one. I can stay in the comfort of my own home. Like, why should an audience member go to all the trouble to go to the hall. This is, I think, an important story that we need to understand uh, why we are telling them that. We can't just believe that people want this because we want them to want this. We have to sort of understand what they're missing. And again, I would say the human connection part of it is definitely one aspect of it, just being around other humans who value what you value. But I think it's important that we understand how to speak about as as symphonic and classical musicians who want people to perform for, how do we speak about this in a way that people will say, I, am, I feel I'm missing out if I'm not hearing classical music live. So what, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, one thing that's come up a lot, and I would agree with this, is that every performance will be unique. And it's often difficult to know what, that quality is again. That's I think this is why we have difficulty uh, communicating or telling a story about this because it's a certain a certain um, impossible to describe quality of what it could be. I mean, one of my my most powerful concerts here was a performance of Beethoven Nine conducted by the late Michael Morgan. Sadly, we lost him recently this year, and. Um, I don't know. There was nothing that necessarily should have stood out about this performance to me, but it was just so moving and so powerful. 
Um, so that, I, as a performer, I felt that chemistry so, so strongly on that night. And it was a very full hall. There were, it was one of our best attended concerts that I can remember since starting here. So I'm sure that had something to do with it, just having a full hall and incredibly enthusiastic audience that, you know, you could just, everybody was in that moment together as the art was being created in time, you know, once and it'll never happen that exact way again. It exists, you know, a memory of it exists in my mind, but it's not like moving through it, you know, being there for that performance. So I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but no, um, I think that's partly because it is difficult to explain. And the only way you're going to know <laughs> is if you is if you go. And if we or a person was lucky enough to be able to hear many different symphony orchestras within a year, let's say, which most of us aren't. And we don't, in Birmingham specifically, we don't get, you know, Vienna and Chicago and New York coming through and performing here in our city. You know, I guess if you live in big cities, often you get that orchestras on tour and you can have that opportunity to say, this is how the Chicago symphony sounds playing Beethoven 9. This is how the Philadelphia Orchestra sounds playing Beethoven 9. This this current version of those orchestras, which of course would be different from that orchestra 20 years ago, 50 years ago. So this knowledge that, um, you know, every orchestra will sound, will bring something different to the table, will sound a little different. And again, they change over time as the personnel changes, as the conductor changes, as certain other tastes and tone and, you know, Gosh, that's getting really technical, but there there are those trends that run through the decades and change, you know, to some extent over time. So every time you go to a concert, you know, you know that you're you're experiencing a unique once in a lifetime version. Yeah. I think that is the thing this to sit on. I think that's really, I mean, well, there are some there are some aspects that other people shared about. I think are are kind of equally as as important to share. But you know, the fear of missing out is very real, right? <laughs> and if we can somehow share that the that there is an experience that cannot be replicated, and it's going to happen on Friday night or Saturday night or whatever, and that this person to try to get to try to frame it in such a way where they are they feel that they're walking into like a thing where anything could happen i just think that that's that's a really good place to start thinking about how we could make it this distinction between live and recorded the other thing the other thing that uh, people discuss, and I totally agree with this, is the literal visceral experience of hearing an orchestra live mm. versus sitting. I mean, you can turn sure. your speakers up really loud, but there's there's a difference between hearing the orchestra all around you and sort of feeling when the orchestra is playing loud. And basically, like one of my favorite moments ever in orchestra concerts, every single time, is at the end of a movement. Like, you know, people come in and they're hovering and everything's cool. There's this light chatter and we're just chilling. And then the concert happens and then we finish like the first movement of a piece and then it stops and you can hear the air conditioning. Like it's so quiet. Mm, you can mm -hmm, hear the, or mm -hmm. like that moment at the end of a very like dramatic and passionate piece of music and it ends in that moment where it holds. And it's just like everybody in that in that room is just like letting that moment settle. Mm -hmm. There's like a visceralness of being there live that 
you can imagine there's recordings that I listen to and I imagine what that could have been like live. And I do think I should tell this story. I don't think uh, John Rommel would mind me telling the story, but when I was in Indianapolis, uh, John Rommel, for those of you who don't know, he teaches trumpet at IU. Uh, he's a very, uh, he's a well-known teacher. He's a great trumpet player, beautiful trumpet player. He's had some success in uh, auditions and, and doing well in like big auditions. And uh, I, I remember asking him about the Chicago Symphony when I was, when I played there. And he told me the first time he, he heard the Chicago Symphony, he was 23 years old or 24 years old or so. And he told me he was kind of nervous because uh, as brass players, we've all listened to these ridiculous recordings mm-hmm. of the CSO. And, and it's just, we all freak out about how, how amazing it sounds. And then, so John was saying I was kind of nervous because I was thinking, you know, generally speaking, a recording of something is going to be the best possible version of what something could be the right, most produced. It's exactly. And they take so, out mistakes. Yeah. So like he was kind of worried that like it might not be quite what his what he had built up the expectation to. And he was saying that the CSO so far surpassed his expectation live. There was there was not even it wasn't even close. Like being in that mm. space was so much different and so much more powerful than hearing the recordings, which were powerful. And so I think that's something to sit on too and to try to think about, you know. Do people, do, do our audience members, I have some more comments about this that I'm going to make general comments at the end, but do our audience members also think that? Or do we think that because we're on stage? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's a great, I mean, I think we have to ask audience members, you know, really to, to know that fully. But gosh, some, something's been like turning in my brain that I just want to say before I forget it because I do think it connects to what we're talking about. And that is that, you know, I think we live in this age where we're just, we're too easily satisfied by shallow connections, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we get that like quick hit of a social media like or a comment or a, you know, like we we feel connected, you know, briefly, but in this very shallow way. And I think that of all times, like this is what, you know, attending a live concert, a live performance where it's happening in, in real time and there's real people making the music in front of you on stage and you know maybe you're experiencing an emotion that somebody three rows in front of you is also feeling in that exact same moment you know just just getting back to this idea that um, you know we can experience this this deeper level of connection that we're obvi- uh, that we're often satisfied with in, in this day and age yeah. Yeah, so those two things, like for me, are 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 worth a consideration for sure about why live music. It's just this connection over the visceral experience, this connection over the fact that we're all experiencing something that will never happen ever again. You know, um, there was one comment I thought that was pretty interesting. Actually, he said I could compare. I, they said I can compare it to being at an awesome party versus seeing videos of the party on social media. You'll still see the fun happening and might catch a couple highlights, but you're not actually living it. Recordings are so useful for study, but if you really want to know how it sounds, you have to be in the hall. I love that. That's great. That's really good. Um, So anyway, uh, you know, we made that case. And so this far, again, I'm trying to view this, uh, of these questions in general are trying to be framed in such a way, again, that we are trying to almost like make a case to audience members, right? It's not just that we're trying to convince ourselves as musicians, like why we matter. We're asking these questions from a critical view. 
and asking ourselves, what do we believe about our our field? And then how would we share that with other, with our public, with our community, so they understand deeply what we do. It's not just, because sometimes I think, again, we think about the institution of something like an orchestra specifically, and we just think it, it, it should be valued, which it should, but that's our opinion, not necessarily everybody's opinion. So trying to, yeah, think of well-rounded things that will be compelling, right? So we started with making a case for why creating and experiencing classical music matters. And so let's say we we came up with a, a perfect, a beautiful, perfect answer, human connection. What could be better than that? Then we moved on and we said, okay, well, let's make it a little bit more narrow. Why does symphonic music matter? Why is it unique? Well, it has all these colors to tell the stories that no other sort of genre or other aspect of classical music really has. And you say, all right, that sounds amazing. But why should I go to a concert? And you say, well, really, it's well, once in a lifetime once in a lifetime opportunity to really like experience an orchestra, not just hear the piece, but to be a part of when it's happening. And they're like, okay, that's great. I'm on board. The very last question we ask then is, what's the role of a symphony orchestra in its community? Then the question becomes, well, what about my orchestra in my community? You've made a case for symphonic music mm -hmm. in general, mm -hmm. but, but what about my orchestra? What does that do for me? You know, what, what yeah. role does it serve? Is it, is it just creating these things or does it serve other roles in the community? And this, I think, deserves a lot of thought and careful examination mm -hmm. because if we can understand all of the ways, this is this to me is the, is the start of answering the question, what problem does orchestra solve in its audience members or its community, you know? So I'm going to open up to Kathleen, kind of let her talk for a little bit because I know she has some great thoughts on this. Yeah, let's see if I can organize them in a way that makes sense. Um, As podcast, it doesn't have to It's make true, sense. it doesn't. I mean, I think, you know, uh, first, I think going back to something I said a while back, you know, um, you know, a great orchestra, um, an orchestra will be the mark of a great city, you know? I mean, not the only one. There are other marks of a great city as well, but it's one way that we represent that we have moved beyond the basic you know, just the basic needs of being met in that community or that city and that we can provide something beautiful, something deeply meaningful for the people that live there. Um, I think that a symphony orchestra should be there for the celebrations, the great celebrations in the city. They should be there for the funerals to, you know, mourn people and to help them grieve, to be part of, you know, healing when it needs to be healing, to be celebrating when we need to be celebrating or when we are celebrating. I think that a symphony orchestra is like a living museum. We recreate these uh, great pieces of music that without a symphony to recreate them, they don't really mean anything. It's not like, you know, I don't know what it's not like, but yeah, if you can't, hear Beethoven five being performed, well then can you really appreciate it? I mean, yes, it still exists and yes, you could listen to a recording, but for all those reasons we just listed, you know, we provide a, we are like a living, breathing museum. Um, and again, like I think we provide entertainment, escapism in, in the healthiest way. Like there's, there's so many um, things that we can and should provide for the community. We should be out in the community. We should be in the schools. We should be um, a crucial and fundamental part of the education that's happening. 
Yeah. I think this is the, our best chance to fight the elitist um, way that people can see us is if we just continue to highlight we are part of your community. We're not just these people in suits who disappear, you know, like all of a sudden and we just reappear to play these concerts. We're in your community too. We have kids that go to schools, you know, mm-hmm. like we care about these things ju- a lot as well. And I think uh, this is this this is where the conversation gets a little bit bigger in symphonic musicians because freelancers are going to be a part of this discussion. You know, they provide a very similar idea, like they're benefiting the community and they live in these communities. You know what I'm saying? Like this is where it becomes bigger and we think about, you know, how do we how do we connect to our community in a way where we can be advocates for what we do to people who will who have who are connected to us? So that they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I actually I I know you. I get it. I, I I hear you. Like I value it because I've had conversations with you about it. How do we make it so we're not just talking to people who don't understand, but people that we've connected with who are interested to hear our point of view? I think this is somewhere where that starts. Yeah. And what you're talking about, like, yeah, it's not we are a living museum or we we're like a living museum. Like you said, we create these works of art in time. You know, it's happening in a moment in time. It's never gonna happen again. But beyond that, you know, like you're talking about being able to be a proponent of music education, not like making it so we're just hoping that everything works out and kids are getting music education, but rather we can hopefully provide some of that as well. And I played in a few nursing homes with a brass quintet. Again, it's not the full orchestra, but we are members of the orchestra. We are well, we're musicians we can do in a community. Because we live here, right. you know, in the time that we're not playing other concerts or their performances, we can do that. We can go into spaces where, and I do think that's really important. And you and I have talked about this a lot. And I think we're starting to see some movement on this front, but, you know, even just like with the the COVID patients too, you know, being able to go to people who can't come to us because sometimes that is, that's the reality, you know, people in, in hospitals or, or certain people in nursing homes, um, prisons. I think we should be playing in prisons. You know, I think that, there are just there are places that they can't come to us, so we should also go to them. And we live here, so we can yeah. we can do that. Yeah, I think if we believe in the mission, right? If we believe in those first three things that we talk about, then this fourth thing is being advocates for that. And this is this is like one of the points. I'm going to read some of these. I'm going to make this point, and then I'm going to read some of what people wrote because I just think it, they they say it so much better. At least I can. So I, I don't think people wanted to hear me talk. But everyone who filled out this form, I asked who like look. One of the questions on there is how did what best describes you? And it was like I'm not a musician, and I enjoy classical music. Uh, I used to play an instrument. I don't play it now, and I enjoy classical music. I play an instrument, and I enjoy symphonic music. Or I uh, have a career, or I am pursuing a career in, symf- in, in in music, and I enjoy symphonic music. Just trying to get a sense of like where you are. Every single person who who filled this thing out is a musician. And only one person, I think, said that they play, or maybe it's like two people said that they play an instrument. Everybody else is either a professional musician, like they have a career in music, or they're pursuing this. So you hear these really beautiful answers, and they're coming from people who are doing it. You know, I, I didn't get any responses from anybody in the community or anyone around that's a non-musician who who is saying the same exact thing. So the point I... The, to me, one of the main takeaways that I hope will come from this is this idea that 
in some ways, I think we as musicians have abdicated the ability to tell these stories to other people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to whatever it ends up being. I don't know, but we can, I think we should be willing to tell our own stories about what we're doing. And this is why we're doing it because if we can figure out how to connect to our community and be advocates and have conversations with people or whatever, I think we, I, I, I don't know. I, this is, I, this is why I'm saying like, I don't, I don't have enough information to draw a conclusion at this point, but it's very clear that so many people are so passionate about what we do. And I know it's mm. hard. I know it's, it's, but it's like hard for everyone. Every business, every art form, every, everybody's trying to vie for saying why they matter and they're telling stories so that people will support it and be interested in it. So we have to do the same. We can't rest, sort of rest on the idea that people will always care. And so this is what this whole episode is about. This is, I mean, we, we're not saying we're any smarter. We just started thinking about it and we wanted to share what we were thinking about. So it's not trying to say these are the right answers. These are saying these are some answers and sharing what other yeah, people have well, said. Yeah, of course not. I mean, and I think actually like this is a challenge we can put out there to any, you know, non-musicians that are listening that love to come to a concert. I'm sure there are things that, you know, you might be thinking as a listener that we haven't thought of. Or yeah, that, I want your feedback. Yeah, so please, if you've got a minute, it would only take a couple minutes. Um, fill out the survey, let us know what you're thinking because we, we've just enjoyed reading these responses so much and we did a similar exercise with some of our musician colleagues in the orchestra. And I just, you know, it was so, we were talking about this, like it was just so edifying to hear people talk passionately about what we do and why music matters and... Um, it just, yeah, it just gave me like a, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling mm-hmm. to, in this time, yeah, it's just so easy to focus on the negative and it was, it was really powerful for me to hear their thoughts and to read the thoughts of people who answered this survey. So keep it coming. We would just love to get more of it. Yeah. I'm going to read a few of these answers because they're really good. Um, let's just pick them at random. I don't know. Gathering different sectors of the population in one room in order to reflect on the unity of humanity. On a lighter note, music can also just be a generally pleasant experience for people during their hectic lives. Uh, The symphony orchestra's role in the community should be a hybrid to what the needs are in that particular community. Symphony orchestra should give that audience an experience that maintains a positive relationship with music and the arts. I like this answer too because it's a recognition that just because what one orchestra does in their Mm. community works doesn't mean every single community will respond to that same thing. Like You actually have to know what your community wants. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, the role of a symphony orchestra should be a form of unity. Oh, this is going to speak to what you were talking about, being there for the celebrations and the funerals. This person said, I'm 23, so I didn't live through this, but I've seen videos of the Boston Symphony immediately after JFK was assassinated. Do you remember this video? I don't. There's a video online of the Boston of a Boston Symphony concert, and in the middle of the concert, that's when they found out JFK was assassinated, and they basically, they just, on the spot, I, may, I don't know, maybe they were already playing this piece, but on the spot, they played the second movement from Beethoven uh, 3, Mm-hmm. And they the dedicated it. Yeah, moment, they dedicated yeah. it. It was like this really like, I mean, talk mm-hmm. about framing of an event. Yeah. It's like this is supposed to be sort of uh, encapsulate the feelings of everyone just finding out that JFK had had died. And so it said the sense of unity that was felt because of the group is something that we should be focused on throughout our lives. Unite the community, give to those that give to you. Uh, and then he talks a bit, a little bit more about uh, he's in Kansas City. That's where his, his community is. Uh, so anyway, that's like kind of an example of how an orchestra can sort of bring, unite people together in difficult times. Mm-hmm. 
through you know musical uh, through the music that was being played. Uh, just a few more here. I just think they're so uh, good. Um, to create an expression of art that inspired and exposes the community to great works, educating the community about symphonic music and fostering appreciation for that expression is crucial for the continued existence of this avenue of music. Very much agree. Uh, I think the orchestras have been expanding their role in the community to go beyond and being an entertainment venue to being more involved in things like education, human rights, and in recent times of emotional support of communities. It's important for orchestras to be cultural institutions and not just the, quote, town band. Um, to edify, entertain, and to educate. Very succinct. Oh, yeah, that's but, a good one. But I good. That to me. Yeah, anyway, I mean... We could we could go on, and if this is if that's interesting to you, I'm happy to come back and read more of these things. But, um, yeah, I appreciate uh, everyone sticking around this far. Uh, again, we don't. We're, there, you can tell that there's not a lot of organization to this presentation because we're sort of just sifting through it ourselves, and we wanted to just quick, you know, quickly, like we've been having this conversation kind of for like a week and a half, you know? <laughs> so it's like, we're not, we haven't really drawn any specific conclusions, but I do know, this is the reason I care about this. I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we can tell a compelling story and we can be united to some degree in whatever that story is, I think we can really help others understand not just what it is that we do, but as Park Howell says in his book, uh, what is it? Brand bewitchery. What we need to do is not tell people what we do, but what we make happen in the lives of our audience or the lives of our customers. What experience will they get from interacting with what we do? And the thing is, is like, you know, if you're someone who, you know, if you're a plumber, what you do is you replace whatever, but like, right, you replace various like plumbing or yeah, hoses. It's an important job. Right. You're but what you make happen is like you come in and you make it so like people can go back to like living their lives <laughs> the way that they didn't realize was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're bringing like this peace of mind. Like you can tell a different story of like, you don't have to worry. We will come in and we will make it all right again, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, this is why I think it's important is because everybody's responses are all about what we make happen. Yeah. I mean, there are a few responses that were kind of about the building blocks uh, or just sort of what an orchestra is. Like, what is the role of an orchestra in this community? Somebody wrote to present symphonic music. Well, yeah, that's for sure the role, right? But if we think about it in a bigger picture, really what we do is if we can make sure we're focused on the audience, that's like everything we do is we make things happen. We we it's human connection. We give them once in a lifetime experiences. We provide them a visceral experience. We we tell them tons of different stories week in and week out that that have all of these colors and that are interesting and they come from different cultures and different countries and different time periods. It's like it's so varied what we do, and yet somehow, somehow. It seems like we can't, at least from what I have perceived, it's like we don't necessarily understand how to share that. I didn't know how to share that. I don't know how to share that. So I'm just trying to be real about that. And I hope that maybe other, you know, if anyone's listening to this and 
feels like they struggle with that kind of thing. Hopefully, this gave you some stuff to think about. Maybe this you're interested in this kind of conversation. Yeah, as well. and I mean, I think we could sort of wrap this up by saying, and you know, and again, I think the reason it was so, um, you know, encouraging to hear people talk about what they do is that you know sometimes we don't always develop a personal mission statement for what we do or why we do it. And so that to me is just a great place to start. If you are a musician, you know, just keeping in mind in the forefront of your mind why you do what you do. Um, because I think sometimes that can get lost over the years for a variety of reasons. Not lost, but just maybe muddied or pushed back. Um, and then again, if you're an audience member or just a lover of classical music, we'd just love to hear what you think because we don't think that way anymore because mostly we perform. Yeah. All right. That's good. I think we did it. Well, we did something. <laughs> Thank you You're for welcome. chatting about this. Um, I guess final thoughts again, the form will be in the description. Uh, check that out. Please let us know. It doesn't take very long. You know what the questions are. Maybe you've already been thinking about it. I'd love more feedback. It would be so cool to just get a lot of responses and sort of try to draw some conclusions that we can share we can continue to share i don't want this to be the last time we talk about this so um if you feel it's on your heart to do so please do uh you can check kathleen out at kathleenbcostello.com she's drawn more stuff recently so there might be some more stuff to check out in that regard coming soon it's yeah. not on the website yet but yeah check you can check out my instagram which is the same handle kathleen b costello is there uh, if you need to get in touch with me, you can do it that's not spit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed the episode, I'd really appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share it on social media so other people can find it. I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>